0: I want to encourage you to grab a Bible and open it to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to get there in a minute. Daniel chapter 3. We're looking at a few messages of biblical examples of people that were desperate for God and God responded. He always responded. Some he responded in a way that was beneficial for them immediately, some not. Um, We could go through uh, church history and look at the same thing. Um, David said in my distress I called upon the Lord cried out to my God he heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears and if we cry out to him our cry comes before him as well. I wanted to give just a little bit of background we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3 but a little bit of background helps us understand some of the things that these three young men went through. God used Babylon as His judgment against Israel for their sin of idolatry and rebellion against Him. And so He allowed and used Babylon, a heathen nation, to come in and because of their sin and idolatry um, chastise them. Daniel chapter 1 verse 1 says, "...Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Many were taken captive." Nebuchadnezzar specifically requested to bring some of the people of Israel both of the royal family of the nobility youths without blemish of good appearance skillful in all wisdom endowed with knowledge understanding learning and competent to stand in the king's palace it was his method of how he entered into other countries took them over and brought some of their youth to serve in his palace and it says in chapter 1 verse 6 among these were Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them different names. He gave them the names Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego, Abednego, depends upon who you're listening to. I've listened to several pronunciations. I heard one pronunciation this morning, and the guy said, the way you should pronounce this word, and I thought, if you can't pronounce pronounce, how am I going to be able to listen to you? But we know who he's talking about. Because of the dates of the kings involved, both Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, were able to get a pretty accurate dating system for the events that happened in Daniel in the beginning, especially three years into captivity, 602 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, it says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, of an image that troubled him. And what I want us to do, our text is Daniel chapter 3 this morning, but what I want us to do is I want us to skim Daniel chapter 2 because it helps set the stage for what um, for what uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, dealt with in Daniel chapter 3. The, the timing of Daniel chapter 3 isn't long after the events of Daniel chapter 2, so I want us to just... I want us to just skim this a little bit. I'm in Daniel chapter 2, and I can highlight things on my computer, and that's why I brought it with me this morning, so I had to print it out. In chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. And so I wanted to let you know who these Chaldeans are because magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, that's a little bit easier. The Chaldeans were people who lived in southern Babylonia, which would be southern Iraq today. Chaldeans were an affluent, highly educated group of people. They were well known as wise men and astrologers, and so they fit in this group. Three times in Babylon's history a Chaldean was the king and would reign over Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is not a Chaldean. The Chaldeans will be the ones who report Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego unless uh, uh, their unwillingness to bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar had erected. In verse 5 of chapter 2 the king answered and said to the Chaldeans who had asked for more time, My decision is firm if you want to make known the dream to me and its interpretation. uh, If if you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation you shall be cut in pieces. Your houses shall be made an ash heap. So this guy was a little radical. All right, and we're going to see that in several different places. Chaldeans sought to buy time so they could come up with a scheme. And he said, no, that's not going to happen. Drop down to verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magicians, astrologers, or Chaldeans. Verse 12, for this reason the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill him also, or to kill them. Drop down to verse 17, Daniel heard about it. Daniel went to his house, made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret. So Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then we drop down to verse 27. I just kind of want to get a snapshot picture. Uh, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, and magicians, the soothsayers, cannot... Cannot be declare, cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days so the latter days is what the topic of this particular dream is, and Daniel made that known here he makes it known in chapter seven he makes it known in other places in the book of Daniel as well and I want to say this there are a lot of it seems to be a conversation these days theologically in the church that that you might not be able to understand what the latter days has to say and so people go out and read lots of different theologians. Read the theologians, that's okay, but understand Daniel. if you don't have a, a good understanding of who Daniel is and what happened with Daniel and what God revealed through Daniel about the latter days we're not we're just going to be groping out there as to as to what God's plan for the latter days. Is, um, it, is uh, it is discernible as much as he's made it known, and those who say it isn't just simply haven't got a good understanding of a literal understanding of Daniel. But it's about the latter days. He who v- reveals the secrets, uh, it says in verse 29, has made known to you what will be. Verse 31, you, O king, were watching, so he tells him the dream. He didn't give him any hints about what the dream was, he just told him the dream because God gave him this mercy uh, that he might save him and his friends' lives as well as the lives of the other wise men. "'You, O king, were watching, behold, a great image, the great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you. "'Its form was awesome. "'The image's head was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. "'You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces.' Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, now we will will tell the interpretation of it before the king. And he tells the interpretation uh, about halfway through verse 38, he says, "'You are this head of gold, but after you shall arise another kingdom uh, inferior to yours, that was the Medo-Persian Empire, then another, that was Greece, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. The fourth kingdom, which was Rome, shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks into pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others.' Whereas you saw the feet of toes partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. As the ten toes of the feet were partly of iron, partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong, partly fragile. I am convinced that we are in the toe portion of the kingdom presently. um, That the Lord is about ready to set up His eternal kingdom. As you saw iron, verse forty-three, mixed with ceramic clay, they will be they will be mingled with the seed of men. But they will not adhere to one another, just as the iron does not mix with clay. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces, consume all the kingdoms. Uh, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out with the mount, uh, of the mountain without hands, that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. This dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Now obviously that's a mouthful and probably a half a dozen messages all by itself. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him. He made the wise men come to him, tell him the dream, tell him its interpretation, and nobody could do it but God gave it to Daniel, and that was the dream, and that was his interpretation, and it deals with the latter days. And so when Nebuchadnezzar heard that, he was awestruck. Verse 48 says this, the king promoted Daniel... Gave him many gifts. He made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat at the gate of the king. That's an overview of chapter 2. I wanted us to have that so we see the setting of what goes on in chapter 3. Daniel has been promoted to this high, high place of ruling over all the wise men, and he asked Nebuchadnezzar, so they had a pretty good relationship if he goes in and leaves the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the earth at that particular time, he asked him to, to uh, also uh, raise up his three friends. It says in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, and this is our text for today, Nebuchadnezzar, the king. Made an image of gold, and I want to mention that Nebuchadnezzar does not fear God at this point. It appears that he had a god enc- he obviously had a God encounter. It appears that he learned a fear of the Lord a little bit later on. He is not a follower of whom he chose to call the most high God a couple of places. He is the most powerful, richest man on the planet at this particular time. If he spoke, it happened. And he was sometimes quite radical in the demands that he gave. Nebuchadnezzar the king, chapter 3, verse 1, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. And I came in here this morning and I tried to measure with my phone the floor to the ceiling to see if our ceiling was 20, was 20 feet, 60 cubits is about 90 feet tall. And I think this is about 18 feet tall. And if our, if our, from the floor to the ceiling, if that's 18 feet tall, this image that he had made was five times as high as what we have right here. All right? That's how high this image was. Um, and its width was six cubits that 's about nine feet wide. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together and i 'm going to read these pretty quick because we have them several times in this text. He sent word excuse me, he sent word to gather together the satraps satraps would be government leaders of provinces. He sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he made this enormous image and was making this a big deal. He sent word out to all of the people that were important, that served in his government to come and be impressed as well. Nebuchadnezzar is impressed with himself. Not only did he have extreme power and wealth, he now had one of the Jewish wise men, Daniel, telling him that he was the head of gold of the dream that he had previously that troubled him. Verse 3 says, So the satraps, the administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They stood before that image, they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried out, to you it is commanded, O peoples and nations, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. These heralders went around screaming and shouting this so that when that music played, everyone would bow down and worship this king of, now I don't want to call him king of kings, that would be disservice to Jesus. This king who was incredible, this most powerful man on the earth, wanted everyone falling down and worshiping the image that he made. It would be interesting to know how Nebuchadnezzar came up with this idea. We don't, it doesn't say, as well as all who were involved in the plan, but we don't know. Nothing, though, indicates that there was any help or direction from the Chaldeans. And the reason I highlight them is because they begin to be the bad guy who wanted to destroy the Jews and the significant Jewish characters in this story. They will show that they have their their intentions against these Jews. Chapter 3, verse 7 says, So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music all the people, nations, languages fell down and worshiped the golden image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Can you just imagine that? These these massive amounts of people hearing this music and at just the right time, everyone bows down to worship this image of King Nebuchadnezzar that he had established. Something that he desired, their worship, and it happened. The king said it. Everybody did it, well, most everybody. Not many resisted, because to resist was to ensure death, and not, will it, not many were willing to pay that price. Verse 8 says, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. And I have a question, what might have been their motive for accusing the Jews? Why were they accusing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Why were they accusing him them of not bowing down and worshiping Nebuchadnezzar's image? Was it that they were so drawn to Nebuchadnezzar that it violated them that these other people weren't worshiping them? I don't think so. I think they so desired to destroy the Jews that they saw an opportunity and they knew that the, the, the payment would be a, a sure death. Were they devoted that someone not worshiping bothered them? We know they couldn't tell the king his dream in Daniel chapter 2. They sought to buy more time, but he didn't give it to them. They couldn't interpret the dream that they couldn't tell. They tried to buy time and trick the king. It didn't work. Daniel, a Jew, was able to tell the king his dream. He was also able to interpret it. He actually saved their lives. He was promoted to the administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. That would include these men that are now accusing Daniel's friends. Daniel's God was not the Chaldean God. He was declared by Nebuchadnezzar as the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of the secrets. Daniel specifically petitioned Nebuchadnezzar on behalf of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and, and they were placed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Babylon. I don't think they cared about Nebuchadnezzar being worshipped. I think there is jealousy going on and spiritual battle that's going on. And because of that, they saw an opportunity, and we can destroy and remove these people that Nebuchadnezzar himself lifted up to high places that are now in authority over us. And so they sought to do that. With Rahab's desperation for God, she was trying to save her life. With Nicodemus's desperation for God, it was a spiritual battle for his soul. With Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their desperation was because of spiritual battle. We won't find ourselves in a situation where we're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. But our, our desperation for God very well could be because of spiritual battle. I'm standing for God and I'm not willing to do something that other people are willing to do on the job. And so there's spiritual battle. I'm standing for something and wanting to live, in for, the, live for the Lord in my family. And because of that, there's, there's a rift in my family. It's spiritual battle. We can put names on it, but it's spiritual battle. Verse 9 says this. They, these Chaldeans, spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, that they were granted access into his presence already shows us that they have a high standing in his government. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. They had an opportunity to remove their adversaries. They took advantage of it. I don't think they cared whether these three men bowed down to worship the image or not. They saw an opportunity to remove these three troublesome, annoying Jews who wouldn't cooperate with them and their gods. Verse 12, There are certain Jews whom you set over the affairs, There are high ranking people in your government is what they're saying over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. The only effective attack on these three individuals was in their devotion to God. And we find that with Daniel as well. If we're going to find anything to accuse him of, I think it's Daniel chapter 6, it's going to have to be against his devotion to his God. That was the only effective attack they had against these three men as well. When, when you or I or when they, when we acknowledge one true God and don't give in to the ideas of multiplicities of gods and lots of options, it's a problem. It was a problem for them then, and it's a problem for us in 2023 as well. When you and I are unwilling to adopt the ever-changing morals and principles of a sinful world, it's a problem. And they weren't willing to adopt the morals and principles of their changing world, and it created a problem. And all you have to do is find yourself in a conversation in a public place, and you start declaring who you follow and what you believe, and you're going to have a problem. That's okay, it's okay, but you 're going to have one in in the workplace. If you don't espouse the drumbeat of those who don't fear God, you're going to have tribulation. We don't have to be mean-spirited, we don't have to be cantankerous. we can be merciful and kind. And sometimes take some blows because people stand against God. But it is not okay to just be spiritually wishy-washy and not follow Jesus. And I'm saying that to us, not to Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They They were willing to pay the price. It is not okay for you and I not to be willing to encounter difficulties just to avoid some sort of a difficulty. Don't validate a lack of conviction by saying, I don't think God would want me to suffer or surely God wouldn't want me to do this. That would be like Job counseling the Lord. And that didn't play out very well for him either. The Chaldeans, though, got Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Look at verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? I think he is genuinely giving them a second opportunity here. He knew them. He knew them by name. They went into his presence. He, he, he catapulted Daniel into a high position, and Daniel uh, petitioned him, and he brought them into, into Daniel's council as well. They're they're friends of Daniel. Think about what you're doing here is what he's saying. If you're ready, verse 15, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. I'm giving you another opportunity. Worship the image that I made. I don't think he'd have given that opportunity to just anybody, but he gave it to these three individuals. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And then he says, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I don't think they're being smart-alecky here. I think they're just saying we're resolved. I'm not hearing an attitude or a tone. It's just our word is our word. Nebuchadnezzar is requiring these men to violate the first two of the Ten Commandments. And the very reason that they're in exile is because Judah had violated the commandments of God in bowing down to other gods and in disobedience to the Lord. They they had learned their lesson. They were learning their lesson. Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. Very first one, first commandment. And the thing that Nebuchadnezzar's asking them to do is bow down and have my God be your God. And they were saying, We're not willing to do that. We're willing to pay a price. Our God can deliver us. We'll see that. But we're not willing to do that. Chapter. 20 verse 4 says, You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, or that's in the earth beneath, or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. That's why they were in exile. The very thing that took them there, Nebuchadnezzar is asking them to violate again, which would only complicate the situation spiritually before the Lord. They knew their God, that they served a God who could deliver them. They knew the story of Abraham offering Isaac, and God provided. They knew about Jacob wrestling with the Lord all night long, and being blessed, and limping the rest of his life, I might add. They knew about... They were aware of Jacob being delivered from Esau, his brother's anger. We could trace more of Israel's history. They knew it. They were strong in the Lord, and it served them well in their day of desperation. So here's what I'm trying to say. Are you in a desperate situation today, or will you be in one next month or next year there is a necessity of being strong in the Lord when we step into those desperate situations so that we cry out to God and allow Him to hear us and respond however it is that He chooses to hear us. Not entering into a situation weak and and limping and not knowing what I should know about the Lord, but being strong in the Lord. And these men were that. Verse 17 says, If that's the case, or if that's the way it happens, or if that's the path God gives us, our God, whom we are able, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand. Alive or dead, he's going to deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, it doesn't have to go our way. We don't have to receive a miracle. We don't have to have some sort of, a, some sort of a, a, an amazing deliverance here. If not, let it be known to you, O king, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. What a strong, firm, immovable statement to the most powerful person who was on the planet at that particular time. They were strong in the Lord. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed. Before He tried to approach them in a friendly manner. Is it true that you won't bow down? I'm going to give you another opportunity to bow down. But when they made their strong, immovable statement, his fury caused his countenance towards them to change. Towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he spoke and commanded that they that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. That's him in his um, unique outrageousness. He commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace exceedingly hot, The flame of the fire killed uh, those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And then something unexpected happened. God wasn't obligated to do something unexpected, but He chose to do something unexpected. I think honoring these three men, as well as He's not done with Nebuchadnezzar. He's got some lessons he's going to teach Nebuchadnezzar as well. Verse 24, shortly after King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, "'Did we not cast three men bound to the midst of the fire?' And they answered and said to the king, "'True, O king, look,' he answered, "'I see four men loose,' not bound anymore. "'I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, "'and they're not hurt. "'And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God.'" I don't know how he knew the form of the fourth was like the Son of God, but that's what the declaration is. The form of the fourth is like the Son of God. God chose to show up and show his favor on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's behalf. He had more to teach Nebuchadnezzar. We'll find that out later in the book as you read Daniel. God honored his servant's extreme devotion. But he doesn't always do that. He isn't obligated to do that. And if you and I went into a fiery furnace type of situation, it might be that we perish for the Lord. There are many who have been martyred for the Lord. Read the book of Revelation and you're going to find those that are martyred wanting justice. And he says, wait just a little while. And there's going to be more that are martyred for the Lord as well. So he isn't obligated to always give us the exit that we might want. Here he did. But he doesn't always do that. Listen to Hebrews 11. You, you know the passage. I read it from time to time. It's so it's incredible. What more shall I say? Time would fail me. And then he speaks of some people who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lion, lions, Quench the violence of fire. The first would be Daniel. Stop the mouths of the lion. Quench the violence of fire would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escape the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. But then he says others were tortured not accepting deliverance. So for some he delivered them and for others he didn't deliver them and we might have a tendency to think well why them and why not these guys were these more important than these no he's living eternally when we think about eternity that we step into eternity and we have all of the rest of eternity like it ever ends we have eternity it's it's not that big of a deal that we would give our life for the lord and these guys were willing to do that it's a big deal But these guys were willing to do that. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. They were desperate too. I'm sure they cried out to the Lord, and in some situations God answered, and it appears to be favorable at least for a lifetime on earth for for the individuals involved. And in others, He doesn't choose to do that, but eternity says they're going to obtain a better resurrection. I'm thinking a better resurrection is going to serve them for all of eternity as well. God had a different story to write on some of those people from Hebrews 11's lives. But I'm confident that obtaining a better resurrection will serve them well. Look at verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fire furnace, spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, God of gods, Lord of, Lord of kings is what he called God in Daniel chapter 2 towards the end. He said, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire, I don't know where the one that looked like the Son of God went, but he wasn't there anymore. The satraps, the administrators, the governors, the kings, counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. You say, Jerry, is this a real story? Did this really happen? Or is this just kind of a hero story so that we'd have something to tell thousands of years later? Well, if it didn't happen, now we can't believe Hebrews either. And we can't believe Jesus and his testimony. Real story. Happened. Miraculous. Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel, delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and they have have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies. They gave, they granted, they delivered, they said, God, here is my body. They yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. And I have a note here that says, maybe that needs to be my prayer today. Maybe that needs to be your prayer today. God, I am yielding my body to you to use and do with me as you would see fit. You're creator. You're God Almighty. You're the king. You're the potter. I'm the clay. Here I am. Use me however you would choose to use me. Almost sounds like Romans chapter 12, verse 1, doesn't it? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Listen to this. It is your reasonable service. It's your logical service. Who is Jesus and what did he do for me and how has he blessed my life and caused me not to walk in uh, 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 animosity with God, taken away the, the curse of sin. It's my reasonable, logical service to say, Jesus, you did all of this for me. Here I am. I want to do this for you. That's what these guys demonstrate. And I think it's supposed to be our prayer as well. What they went through was extraordinary. Extraordinary that we should give our lives as a living sacrifice, our bodies a living sacrifice, that's supposed to be the ordinary. That's supposed to be the norm for followers of Jesus. It isn't just the Shadrach and Meshach, or the Apostle Paul or Peter, it's the norm. It's Paul, through the Spirit of God, through Paul, appealing to the believers in Rome, it is reasonable that everyone give their body a living sacrifice to the Lord. Because Jesus has done what he did, it's my reasonable service to offer myself to him. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you were purchased off of the slave block of sin. The price was the blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe yielding my body needs to be my prayer today. God, I hold on to what I have I think I have a right to what I have. I mean, after all, I've worked so hard for what I have. Who gave you the ability to breathe? Who gave you the breath that you breathe? Or the ability to use your eyes or your hands or your mouth or whatever it is that you use to gain what you gain. God is the one who does all of those things. We've been bought with a price. Verse 29 says, Therefore I make a decree that all peoples, nations, languages which speak anything amiss, against the God of, he'd done this before in Daniel 2, against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. So the Chaldean plan to destroy these pesky Jews backfired. And then the king promoted even more Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You know what, I can't help but wonder when I think about Rahab, I think about Nicodemus, and I've got a whole list. We're not going to work our way all through the list, but what I can't help but wonder—I've been reading ahead about others who were desperate for God—and what I can't help but wonder is if I never find myself in a situation that where I'm desperate for God, I wonder if maybe I'm a little too safe spiritually. I wonder if He wants me to risk and give my life as a living sacrifice for Him. Declare to Him, God, here I am. Use me, however you choose. You don't have to create a crisis situation, but I imagine if I lived as a living sacrifice, there would be some desperate for God, where only God and God alone can answer situations that might come up in my life. So don't be safe in the Lord. Be radical. Be radical in your in in your submission to and your risking for Jesus. He's absolutely worth it. It's our reasonable service. As followers of Christ, let's present ourselves to God. And should there arise a need for desperation, let's follow Him and look at Him no matter what the cost. If I perish, I perish. If I live, I live for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray to God, Father, we bow before You. What a radical story for these three Jews, young men, What a motivator for me to be strong in the Lord and to be willing to yield my body as a sacrifice as well. Father, I pray that for myself, that it's my reasonable service after all that you've done for me and continue to do for me and have promised me in the future. And I pray that for everyone in this place. Lord, everyone here who names the name of Jesus, may we take seriously the need to yield our bodies as a living sacrifice to serve the God of gods. We thank you that you work in our midst and we pray that in Jesus' name.